0: Uh, Will you guys pray with me, please? Go ahead and close your eyes, and uh, let's begin by praying a prayer of thanksgiving. Thank God specifically for one thing in your life right now. Next, pray a prayer of confession and repentance. Ask God to forgive you in one specific way this morning. And lastly, pray for your heart and for my heart that we would be obedient to what God wants to say this morning. Father, over this next half hour, we want what you want, and so make that a reality in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. I want to begin this morning by reading a story to you. It goes like this. In the Middle East, many years ago, lived two brothers, teenagers at at the time that their father came to faith in Jesus through a dream, and then meeting a local missionary. Their father came home and started to share the gospel with his two sons, the two teenagers. And after many weeks, both brothers came to faith in Jesus and decided to follow him. Years went by and it was time for the two brothers to decide what they were going to do with the rest of their life. The younger brother wanted to stay and start his own business in the trades, And the older brother wanted to head west and live in the freedom that it promised. They had both recently received minor persecution for their faith. The younger brother was willing to find Jesus worth it in the midst of the suffering. The older brother wanted nothing to do with it and live without the fear of persecution and live in freedom. Years went by and the younger brother had been thrown into prison a few times he had been separated from his family and had lost his business however was still faithfully following jesus and finding him worth it despite his current circumstances the older brother was a couple thousand miles away he climbed his way up the ladder in his company he had a beautiful family retirement savings and just about anything that you could ask on this earth He was also fairly active in his local church. However, instead of taking advantage of his freedom, he spent his time arguing about his local and national politics, complaining about certain aspects of his Sunday morning experience, and was shaped much more by his favorite cable news channel than his local church. The story is not historical, but it's true. And we'll come back to it at the end. Last week we started a new series looking at the seven letters to the seven churches in Revelation. Um, as Doug said, the book that we call Revelation was believed to be written by John, a disciple and follower of Jesus, and uh, the author of the gospel according to John He wrote it while he was exiled on an island called Patmos, Uh, and we're not looking at timelines or charts or predictions in this series, but as Doug said last week, um, the fact that Jesus Christ wins. And Doug last week reminded us that love is the means and the end. And the letter to Ephesus was not meant for just Ephesus, just like this letter is not meant for all of the churches and even in some aspect for us today. And so this week, we are looking at the next letter. Um, It's short. It's only four verses. So go ahead and turn with me to Revelation chapter 2. Revelation chapter 2, verses 8 and 11. It's page uh, 1028 in your pew Bible if you want to follow along. And the words will also be on the screen. Revelation 2, verses 8 through 11. Read this. And to the angel of the church in Smyrna, 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 I'm going to go with Smyrna this morning, write this, the words of the first and the last who died to life. I know your tribulation and your poverty, but you are rich. And the slander of those who say they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. Do not fear what you are about to suffer. Behold, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison that you may be tested. And for ten days you will have tribulation. Be faithful unto death, and I will give you the crown of life. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The one who conquers will not be hurt by the second death. Um, before we dive in deeper, let's let's gain some understanding and cut these these four verses. Uh, remember, there are seven letters to seven different churches in this section in uh, Revelation. And only two of them do not receive any criticism from Jesus. Okay, They are Philadelphia and Smyrna. Instead, these two churches receive encouragement to continue on, to face the persecution and continue to find Jesus worth it. One commentator points out that these two churches are the smallest of the seven churches And they have the least impact in the world of the seven churches. That's interesting. God may have a different view of success than we do. And the church or the group of churches in Smyrna was most likely founded during Paul's third missionary journey, sometime uh, between the the dates of 53 and 56 AD. And if we look at the city of Smyrna specifically, it's in modern-day Turkey, and was just north of Ephesus, as Doug pointed out on the map last week, um, and was, quote, listen to this, quote, renowned for its beauty, calling itself the first in Asia. The first in Asia, remember that. Rome and Smyrna had a great relationship, okay? Rome um, held Smyrna in high regard in their empire during, during that day. And lastly, in 5 AD, uh, Polycarp, Bishop of Smyrna, was burnt at the stake for refusing to confess that Caesar is Lord. The story goes like this. I'm going to read a small summarized version. Polycarp was asked to say Caesar is Lord, uh, but he refused. He was then brought into a Roman stadium and to confess, or told to confess that Caesar is Lord. And when Polycarp continued to refuse, the proconsul threatened to unleash the wild beasts on him. Still not budging, the pro Council threatened for Polycarp to be burnt at the stake. And listen to what Polycarp said. He said this, he said, You threaten me with fire which burns for an hour. a little is extinguished. But you are ignorant of the fire of the coming judgment and of eternal punishment reserved for the ungodly. But what are you waiting for? Bring on what you will. People began then to gather firewood and minutes later Polycarp was burnt at the stake. I share this with you just to simply show you that this was not a friendly city for followers of Jesus. These were extremely difficult circumstances uh, for these followers of Jesus to live in. Yet, these four verses receive nothing but praise praise in commendation from Jesus. Smyrna was seen as a success in the eyes of God despite them being small in size and despite their persecution that they were receiving. All that being said, if you're going to tune out right after this, um, listen for five more seconds. All that being said, one thing I want you to remember this morning is this. In persecution... Or suffering, no, the second death has no hold on you. And Persecution or suffering, the second no hold on you. All right, now that we have context and some sort of direction, hopefully this morning, let's look at these four verses uh, more specifically. Okay, verse 8 says, And to the angel of the church in Smyrna write, the word, write, uh, write this, The words of the first and the last who died and came to life. Uh, point one, if you're taking notes in your bulletin, um, I would strongly encourage you to. says this, Jesus is who he says he is. Jesus is who he says he is. Simple, yes. But thinking back to our summary, which says, In persecution or suffering, no death has no hold on you. Jesus being who he says he is is important because if he wasn't, then the second death would have power over our lives, correct? He would just be another guy. But we know that not to be true. Jesus calls himself the first and the last. This is also significant because remember what I said? What did the people of Smyrna call themselves? The first in Asia. And Jesus comes right out of the gates, I am the first and the last. Scholarship agrees that this is not an accident. Jesus is making a claim that he indeed is the first and the last. He is the alpha and he is the omega. He is the letter A and he is the letter Z. The first page of Revelation reads this, I am the alpha and the omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. And the last page of Revelation says, Behold, I am coming soon. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, and the beginning and the end. The statement was apparently very important to Jesus. And not only does Jesus claim to be the beginning and the end, the first and the last, um, he says that he is the one who has died and he has come back to life. rhetorical question for you. Why do you think it would be important to tell a group of people receiving death threats that the one that they follow, Jesus, has died and has come back to life? It's because it's their current reality and it's their future hope. Right? Jesus says, I was, past tense, I was dead, but now am, present tense, now I am alive. And he says to Smyrna, this is your destiny as well. The persecutors have no power over you. They have no hold on you. Jesus is who he says he is, amen? is who he says he is. Let me ask all of us, including myself, this question. Who do we think Jesus is? Have we created him in our image? A Jesus that we like maybe better than the one we see in scripture? Have we made him to be someone that that we're comfortable with? Someone that we want him to be? Or is the Jesus that we're following the one Revealed in Scripture, the Son of Man, the Messiah, the Son of God. Just let that sit there. Next, in in verse 9, Jesus says, I know your tribulation and your poverty, but you are rich. And the slander of those who say they are Jews, but are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. Satan. Once again, very simple, but from these, I want you to understand that God sees things differently. Write that down in your notes. God sees things differently. And this is also key because, according to our summary, when we're facing death, there is no fear. Why? Because the second death has no hold on us. The second death has no power on us. These Christians in Smyrna during this time were going through trial and tribulation, causing them to be physically poor. Okay? They, they didn't have much. They didn't have much to their name. The world looked at them and saw nothing uh, but people who were taking up space and people who were taking up resources. In their eyes, they were good for nothing. God looks at them and he smiles and he sees so much more. He goes beyond the temporal and sees the richness of their faith, the richness of their spiritual life, and the richness of their future inheritance. I love questions, so another question for you this morning, less than? Are you walking through these doors this morning just feeling less than, feeling shame, guilt, condemnation? Do you look at your neighbor who drives a nicer car Do you look at your neighbor who has more square footage? Do you look at your neighbor who has a nicer house for his or her cars than you do for your own body? Do you look at your neighbor and see a salary that's at least double of yours? And do you just feel depressed? Feel shame? Feel less than? Feel unimportant? Or maybe do you feel envy? Or jealousy that says... God wants you to know, and it's pretty clear. Just read the Sermon on the Mount. God wants you to know that it's not about that. It's about your heart. It's about our heart and the richness of our inheritance, which is living with him forever in the new heavens and the new earth. And if I could say this, myself included at times, I'm afraid that in the West we are not living like this is true. That we are storing up, we are not storing up treasures in heaven. And instead we are living for the temporary satisfaction that this world has to offer. But proves to be cheap every single time. And in the process we're forgetting that in scripture when Jesus says follow me. It's preceded by pick up your cross. And follow me. And this goes into this weird phrase, you are a synagogue, or they are a synagogue of Satan. What is a synagogue of Satan? I had to do some research on this one. Um, in this context, case okay, simply put, it's a group of Jews who desire to follow Yahweh, but have denounced Jesus as Messiah, and are persecuting anyone who follows him. Okay? More broad this. Imagine an institution... One with power, one with influence, and one with prosperity. Imagine that this institution from the outside is for God, and it's for God's ways. That they want to be a part of his kingdom and what he's doing. But the moment that he begins to do a work that looks foreign, or makes this institution feel uncomfortable, the answer is to shut down the movement. And get rid of it by either silencing it or worse, and even sometimes in the movement. That is a synagogue of Satan, a group that believes that they are doing God's will, but have sadly married themselves with the adversary. You see, the people inside may think that they are a synagogue, that they are a temple, that they are a church of God. But because of their slander, have become a synagogue of Satan. Know this, that God knows the true heart of a man and of a woman. And therefore, God is able to see things differently. And lastly, verses 10 and 11. Do not fear what you are about to suffer. Behold, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison that you may be tested, and for ten days you will have tribulation. Be faithful unto death, and I will give you the crown of life. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The one who conquers will not be hurt by the second death. Last point this morning, write this down. The faithful will live forever. That's a promise. The faithful will live forever. Jesus says, Do not fear what you are about to suffer. And he can say this because, guess what? He suffered. Simply this earth and living as a man was suffering for him as God himself. And he also says, and invites us to suffer with him. He says, You will be thrown into prison and tested, and for ten days you will have tribulation. Unfortunately, um, many try to create some sort of chart or timeline from this verse. Um, But this refers back to Daniel 1, verses 12 and 14. You can go and read it. And Jesus is saying that this suffering um, will be short and it will have an end. It will be finite. It will be 10 days. Not actually 10 days, but instead 10 meaning short, meaning you can endure it. You can persevere. And for those who do endure, he or she will receive the crown of life. And this crown is not one of authority, but one of victory. Think of a crown that one would receive after overcoming an athletic match in the Greco-Roman world. This is their destiny, the crown of life, receiving the victor's crown because of their endurance and because of their faithfulness. And at the end of verse 11, the one who conquers will not be hurt by the second death. Fun fact here, and I'm not sure if the other ministers are going to touch on it, but the word conquer appeared every single one of these letters. And I believe around 17 times maybe, don't quote me on that, um, around 17 times in, in all of Revelation. In this context, uh, those who conquer meaning those who don't confess that Caesar is Lord and bend to the Roman ways and instead continue to follow Jesus faithfully, those will not be touched by the second death. Uh, What is the second death? You may be asking. That's a valid question. Um, As Christians, as we read scripture, we believe that at some point after Jesus comes back, all the dead will be raised. And they will be resurrected. And at that point, those who wanted nothing to do with Jesus will get their wish and experience the second death. And those who lived and repented and followed Jesus by his grace and mercy, the forgiveness of sins, those will then receive eternal life with Jesus in the new heavens and new earth. And all of this is made possible, not because the people of Smyrna are something great, not because you or myself have something to offer in our own strength, but all of this is made possible because a Jewish man who lived two years ago conquered death by being put to death and then raising to life. Remember my story in the beginning in our comfortable 21st century world we automatically think suffering equals bad difficult equals bad persecution equals bad hard equals bad and i just want to humbly ask maybe not to god one pastor on the west coast says it this way we persevere Maturity. He also says the church, church is often at her best when cultural hostility is at its worst. Hostility makes a small church a smaller one. It tends to make the committed more committed and the nominal walk away. It's sad and we have to grieve that, but maybe it's not all that bad either. Another quote, if not careful, ease and comfort can lead to apathy and complacency. James says it this way, counted when you face trials of many kinds, knowing that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. Paul has something to say about it too. He says We rejoice in our sufferings knowing that suffering produces endurance and endurance produces character and character produces hope and hope does not put us to shame. Why? Because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Still not convinced or good enough, Jesus says this hours before he dies. I have said these things to you that in me, You may have peace. In the world you will have but take heart. I have overcome the world. Do I, Brady Zimmer, want to be persecuted for following Jesus? No. But do I think it would be the worst thing? I don't think so. I wonder if in the past year, that God wanted to show us that we love our freedoms in this country more than we actually love Him. So how do we respond this morning? first listen to what God is speaking to you right now by his spirit. But if you are suffering this morning and maybe not being persecuted, but if you are suffering this morning, if you find yourself not being able to see past your current circumstances, not being able to see past the first death that seems imminent, know this. Know the second death has no power in your life. The second death has no on you. For us who are faithfully following, we are conquerors. Not because of anything that we have done, but because of God and his own son. You can face your seemingly hopeless marriage. You can face your cancer treatment. You can face your chronic health battle. You can face your depression and your despair. You can face your lack of hope. You can face whatever it may be. You can face it. You can look at it right in the eyes and say the first death may come, but the second death has no power over me. We say that because the very last pages of Scripture say this, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. Things new. This is making all things new. So, in persecution or in suffering, know that because Jesus is making all things new, the second death has no hold on you. Let's pray. God, have your way in our lives. God, we want to be a people who love you more than anyone or anything else. Lord, to the person who is suffering right now, give them your presence, give them your peace. Paul says that you are a God of comfort. Lord, show that truth to them right now. Allow us to see past our current circumstances, whatever they may be, and realize, yes, if you do not come back first, the, the first death will come. But we will not have fear. We will have peace in the midst of our tribula- tribulation. Why? Because you have overcome the world and you have promised that the second death will have no place in our lives. So God, be with us. Make us a people who love you and love our neighbor as ourself. In Jesus' name, amen.